0: Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe.
1: We promised a great show and we're going to deliver that today. it's Ray and Brad on The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Today, in addition to Jeremy Kent, our European correspondent, we have, from New York, Jane Barrett, the president of Young and Rubicam's flagship New York agency. It should be a great conversation, and we're looking forward to that, as well as uh, we'll be hearing from Jeremy on the latest that's coming out of the U.K. as we uh, give you another live version of the Advertising Show. Happy to have you here. It's uh, obviously uh, a week that a lot of people, Brad, have talked about uh, uh, Japan and the ramifications of not only the earthquake and tsunamis, but the uh, now the danger they're saying, and some say it's not a danger, but I think it is of the uh, the, the, the you know the nuclear stuff going on over there. But there's an in- interesting thing that had happened as a result of this earthquake and tsunami. Excuse me a second. I need to take my potassium iodide. Okay, go ahead. Got it. Please, yeah. Actually, they they ran out at uh, CVS. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried did a kind of a kind of a dumb thing. Uh, He thought it was funny, but it wasn't, and as a result, he is no longer the voice of the Affleck duck. Okay, so uh, basically, Gilbert's recent comments about the crisis were lacking in humor, and certainly do not represent. The Thoughts and Feelings of Anyone at Aflac. That's according to Michael Zuma, who is the uh, CMO there. Um, And uh, several of the comments, sexual in nature, a common theme on uh, Mr. Gottfried's uh, Twitter feed. Uh, So, uh, he's not new to controversy. Apparently, three (laughs) weeks after the 9-11 attacks, this is according to the Times, he made the light of the tragedy at uh, the Friars Club roast for the founder of Playboy, Hugh Hefner. Comments uh, prompted boos from the audience members. One of said... Uh, it was too soon, according to a New York Observer article at the uh, time. So, Gilbert, not a good idea. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you unless you've got some type of Charlie Scene insurance or something that will carry you through the rest of your life, and, uh, not to mention the fact that how cruel that was just not good. He's probably regret- regretting that, and and we hope that. Uh, he recovers well. Isn't that kind of sad, though, Brad, when you think about that? Well,
2: yeah. yeah comedians are are by nature used to putting themselves out there and, and doing cutting-edge, uh, controversial-type comedy, those that are good, I think. But yet, there are a lot of them, not all of them, but most of them don't really understand the branding process and the importance yeah. of – of representing a brand, unlike, uh, you know, Jay Leno. I think, uh, you know, think what you want about him from a performer standpoint. I know you and I are Letterman fans, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. Leno many years ago used to do uh, endorsements for Doritos. That was probably about the last thing he ever did. But he's he's got some sense about representing himself as a brand, as an image, and so forth. A lot of these comedians just don't get that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. You would think, as a human being, they might, even though they venture into that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, job. <laughs> well, by n- by nature, the more out
2: there they can be, I sure. think. Sometimes they think the more attention they can get, and yeah. when they, you know, he was riding high with uh, the voice of the Afflat duck. I don't know what
1: he was making on that, but I got to believe it was a decent chunk of change. It was probably a little bit better than scale. Okay, so and that's a nice long gig to have as well, too. So. So maybe uh, Geico will pick him up now. Who knows? I doubt that very much. Uh, I (laughs) mean, look at at Tiger Heat. Has he ever recovered from the debacle that he put himself through? No. Uh, Yeah. And now he can't play golf anymore either. He's just not back on his game. What a a
2: landslide. He's lost lost his mojo. uh, But I will say this. It's a great time to be a Murdoch sibling, Ray, if you haven't heard. James Murdoch, uh, who is just basically the son, one of the children of the Mm -hmm. uh, famous uh, Rupert family, will soon be joining uh, the uh, Abu Dhabi Media Summit as a uh, a participant. Uh, Apparently, they're expecting uh, what we're calling James Murdoch Jr., to be uh, a major player in the region with a vital role of News Corp's new future growth expected through B2B Sky B, uh, which is a uh, media. What am I saying here? I'm um, a television uh, satellite uh, channel that many Europeans, of course, are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Soon to be controlling half of News Corp's revenue. Uh, so wow. if you happen to have an opportunity to hang out with James. Uh, hit him up for a small loan. He'll probably have it <laughs> in his front left pocket. Yeah. Uh, write me a check,
1: James. That's all I need. That's fine. Yeah, Jane Barrett yeah. just about to join us here. Jane, president of Young & Rubicam's flagship uh, New York agency. Her experience as a global branding and digital expert spans three continents and almost 20 years working with some of the world's uh, strongest and biggest brands. Uh, she joined uh, uh, the organization y and in uh, 2010 from Sapient. Interactive, where she spent two years as managing director, responsible for driving an expansion of marketing services for a broad range of global clients. So, uh, Jane will be here in just a few moments, uh, along with uh, our European correspondent uh, Jeremy Kent as well. I think this is a great idea, and this is from um, well, it's MTA, uh, uh, Metropolitan Transit Authority, raising between a hundred thousand and a million a year. Uh basically what this is, they're looking to sell ad space in the subway tunnels, and it's it's called a tiled ad space uh, so that when a, a train passes by, uh, <laughs> they would look out the window to see a series of images seemingly static until the motion of the train uh, brought them to life, kind of like a, a flip book. So nice opportunity for raising some funds. I think it's a, a great idea, and I, I hope it works well. The uh, first tunnel to potentially get the New Age Commercial would be the Times Square shuttle. It's in a pilot project, so they're trying it out. But uh, between a hundred thousand and a million a year, to look out the window and see some ads is probably a lot better than seeing nothing, and or graffiti, and or just a plain yeah. old brick wall. So I mm-hmm. applaud I applaud MTA for their for their efforts there. I wish that other cities, uh, well, for instance, Houston doesn't have any type of transit advertising. They used to. I mean, uh, when I was here in the 70s, I, I do believe M- uh, Metro had uh, uh, advertising on buses and such, but now there's, there's nothing here. And they've got the light rail here, so I think any time you can take advantage of something like that, it's a doggone good idea. The Advertising Show, it's uh, Ray Shilland and Brad Forsyth. We are happy to be live with you this week with Jane Barrett, Y&R, president of the Flagship New York Agency. We're going to talk to Jane out of New York here in just a couple of moments, and hear from Jeremy Kent here momentarily, Advertising Show is being powered by Schiphol.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. And that is an incredible marketing platform uh, for uh, for, uh, businesses and service-oriented businesses and such. So check it out at shipple.com. They power the Advertising Show and always uh, do a great job for us. It's time for Jeremy here on the Advertising Show.
3: Hello and welcome to the European News Desk, coming to you from a sunny London where spring is finally in the air. This week, Perform is planning an 800 million IPO, top 100 advertisers boost spend and brands commit to public health. Perform, the digital sports marketing and media agency, is planning to float on the London Stock Exchange. The company aims to raise around $110 million in a move that values the business at over $800 Perform delivers online sports content to betting companies as well as running niche TV channels for premiership soccer clubs and its own service, Goal.com. The company was formed in 2007 with the merger of Inform Group and Premium TV. Last year, Perform claimed to have managed more than 100 websites and mobile services on behalf of others and streamed over 25,000 individual sporting events. Some positive news now as Nielsen Research reports that over three quarters of the UK's top 100 advertisers increased their ad spend last year. TV advertising saw the biggest uplift with a 17% rise and print, outdoor and cinema also did well. The only faller was radio, which dipped by 6%. The biggest advertiser was Procter & Gamble, who spent $330 million. The number two slot was taken by BSkyB with a spend of $235 million, while the British government slashed its spend by 50% and dropped from number one to number six in the table. Staying with the UK government, it's recently unveiled its responsibility deal and over 170 companies and organisations have signed up to it. Key pledges include displaying calories on the menus of fast food outlets, reducing the amount of salt that Britons eat by one gram per day and the removal of artificial trans fats. Signatories include McDonald's, Pizza Hut and KFC, along with major retailers such as Tesco and Sainsbury's. The drinks industry has also agreed to a change in labelling and to a campaign for more responsible drinking. Since last September, groups working on food, alcohol, behavioural change, physical activity and health at work have sought to improve public health through voluntary rather than regulatory means. This is Jeremy Kent at the European News Desk for The Advertising Show.
1: Jeremy Kent knows everything. What's going on over there. I think that's pretty cool. Thanks, Jeremy, on The Advertising Show. Ray Shellen's and Brad Forsyth with our very special guest, Jane Barrett. Jane is president of Young & Rubicam's flagship New York agency. Need I say more? No, I don't. Hey, Jane, welcome to The Advertising Show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, so Jane, uh, to get us started today, why don't you touch upon some of the highlights at Y&R for the past six to 12 months. This is... The advertising shows opportunity that we afford all of our special guests to brag a little bit about your firm before we get down to business.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. I think uh, this is fundamentally such a wonderful time for the advertising business. And I think within our agency, you know, we're definitely seeing the dynamics of the changing landscape, um, the innovation, and and really the excitement for what is next, and what's new, and what are the new challenges within the business? And uh, you know, we have an amazing range of clients that we work with, uh, from CPG clients where you know we live and die by sales of of food products, for example, flying off the shelves, and then you know to the other end of the scale, in a very niche clients where we can you know do some pretty amazing, uh, amazing innovation. I think one of the one of the highlights for us in the last year was a wonderful little. Uh, Little initiative we did for Airwalk, which is a, a sneaker company that gets outspent by a multiple of—I'm going to go with probably nine zeros or at least eight zeros—by some of the <laughs> big other, the other big uh, wow. athletic manufacturers. Um, and we created the world's first invisible pop-up store which was such a great, I mean, it was a very functional, you can't say it was an advertising campaign, you can't say it was a sales driver, you can't say it was a PR thing, it was sort of all of those things. But advertising still the best you know, catch-all phrase to describe what it is. And uh, we basically used augmented reality to sell very limited edition sneakers in two locations, um, Venice Beach in L.A. and in Washington Square Park. In New York, and uh, people had to basically find the sneakers through an augmented reality app, and then you could buy it there on the spot with um, e-commerce functionality. So it tapped into some really wonderful things around how uh, how the sneaker community works. Anyway, You know, the limited edition, the hard to find, a great use of technology, sort of the instant gratification. I think you know that that was definitely a, a wonderful highlight, and uh, certainly the sort of thing that you know we love doing as a company and experimenting with new technologies
1: obviously that you got know, a lot of buzz too i would imagine huh
0: yeah it got some great buzz and i mean that was that was uh there was a lot of um gratitude from from airwalk in that it basically did the equivalent of a very very large paid media spend wow
2: you know uh it seems like and you know bear me out with this i suppose jane that the clients that are strapped with smaller budgets uh, i harken back to many when they first rolled out in the u.s. and now you speak of airwalk those are the ones that are seem to be more open to innovation and, and new ideas and what a wonderful example of how to engage with your uh, potential consumer in a very innovative platform
0: yeah i think we're very lucky to have clients both big and small that have that appetite for innovation um, you know, we uh, did some work recently with, for both Virgin and Land Rover, and both of those brands have, uh, you know, innovation that they call their wonderful brands, um, where we partnered with a new, um, speaking of News Corp earlier, the new News Corp iPad-only publication the daily, and we're able to do some really interesting advertising units, um, which, you know, got great interaction rate, great response rates. You know, we were really, again, the the benefit of being first and doing something in a way that people haven't seen before, always over-indexes on the ROI, often not in the ways that exactly expect but uh, it's certainly great for the brand and it's great for brands with innovation at their core to be doing those things.
2: Sure. So you, so you spent 10 years at Euro RSCG working in Australia, Malaysia, Hong Kong before coming to New York. So can you think of a better way to prepare someone for a global perspective on uh, branding as, uh, as your own in terms of having that uh, uh, more global view before coming to YRU New York?
0: It's. I've had a very fortunate journey along the way. I think starting in smaller markets like Australia and Malaysia, you really get a sense of what works at that absolute grassroots level. And, you know, every, every company and every product is complex. Every market is complex. Every consumer segment is complex. And it's very hard to make proclamations about what's going to work and what's not going to work. So having that innate appreciation for how to adapt something to a local market is um, again something which I'm very grateful for, and then sort of a regional perspective as well. I think Asia Pacific is a great region. I mean, it's not dissimilar from Europe or Latin America in that the countries are so diverse. Like, if you look at the the cultural differences between a you know a Korea and an India, you know, or Australia and China, they're incredibly. Um, incredibly incredibly different and to have a, a regional responsibility to try and make sense of the whole and what's going to work efficiently for the whole as well as working at that sort of local market level is um with a great perspective to have too so yeah like i said it was a wonderful foundation before moving to new york to have uh, deep deep experience you know out there in the world with people as opposed to you know what they look like on a research report really
2: yeah. You know, uh, I noticed in doing some research for today's interview, you were on CNBC earlier in the year discussing your picks for Super Bowl ads. And uh, not to rehash old news, I, from what I saw, you pretty much line up with our thinking in that uh, uh, the Super Bowl spots in general uh, just weren't in keeping with what I and I think all advertising practitioners had become accustomed to over the years. Uh, in a word, I think lame would be uh uh, one word that comes to mind. Uh, moving on from that, and you know, if you want to jump in and correct my thinking, if you don't align with our thinking, you can do that. I, but speaking,
0: I wouldn't say lame. I'd say that there's been um, an expectation set, and certainly a formula that's been followed, sort of more rigorously over the years. That um, sometimes a lot of the categories tend to blur together with the one-note gag for sort of beer and soda and. As snack food. And then, uh, you know, I think the automotive category did a good job this year. So at least the cars differentiate, or the brands differentiating themselves a little better. But mm-hmm. there's, um, there is a formula and a level of expectation that followed. And you can see some brands actually straying from their core in order to sort of fit in with the, you know, the Super Bowl set, which I think is, you know, it's such a giant mistake. But at the same time, when you've got such amazing, you know, high production value, incredible investment, Going into other spots, it is something that you have to make a special effort for it's just a very delicate balance to walk, but regardless of of overall judgment, I think it's still a, a fascinating um, advertising event to really watch what people have been up to and you know to personally appreciate how many millions of hours of work have gone into oh, really? you know those thirty seconds of uh, of media time
1: let's not forget it was a good game too Jane okay
0: there was a game. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know uh I agree uh, I agree in general with what your thought was there in terms of production values and it, I did note that there was a lot more money being spent uh, in the development of the messaging today than there was uh, in a few years ago but and i don 't know if that 's a reflection of economic times or whatever. I frankly think that sometimes uh, uh, production values when they are maxed out, can sometimes uh, lose the message that is within, and sometimes a simpler less uh, expensive spot can can cut through and I know you're a big proponent of cutting through the clutter, but let's talk a little bit about football for a moment. There's an interesting uh, <laughs> ad age discussion about the impacts of the potential upcoming NFL uh, season and lockout, if you will, for advertisers. Your thoughts, Jane, on where advertisers are going to need to redirect their efforts if the NFL audience is absent this year?
0: There's, a, there's one thing that is wonderful and it keeps me energized every day about the advertising business is that it's so fundamentally dynamic and, you know, it's an incredibly adaptive industry. You know, it's it's not like manufacturing where you need to rebuild a plant or, you know, there is something really wonderful about, um, you know, a door closes or something gets more crowded and an alternative will come up. And I think the way that people are consuming media now, you know, Sports events, as we saw from the Super Bowl, are still very, very much mass media. But, you know, the homepage of Yahoo is mass media. The homepage of, of New York Times is mass media. There, there's, uh, you know, a Facebook app is mass media. And there are definitely a lot of other ways, depending on, you know, what the brand is trying to achieve and do in that time to, um, to get to big audiences. Um, I think the, the sort of protectionism of um, certain TV events, you know, it's not good for the business long term. You know, I, I love experimentation. You know, I I really uh, admire Apple for sort of their innovation in iAds and setting a very high bar for um, what you need to buy in with in terms of financial commitment. But you know. There's certain things that, you know, companies can do to create demand. And I think what the, you know, what the NFL is doing is trying to up for demand. And I'm just going to go up with the price tag. Just it again. There
1: you go. On the Advertising Show, Ray and Brad Forsythe, we have a special guest this weekend, Jane Barrett, who is president of Y&R, New York, Young and Rubicam. Uh, the, uh, the website, if you don't know, is yr.com. Back in just a moment with more Ray Brad on the Advertising.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Hey, Columbus, we can't turn back without an order from you. I'm not talking while the flavor lasts. What are you chewing? Peach not Welcome back, Ray Shillings, Brad
1: Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Boy. You don't even have to say uh, anything beyond Y&R. You just know what it is. That's a great brand, isn't it? Uh, it should be as a well distinguished and uh, long distinguished uh, you know uh, background in advertising our guest is Jane Barrett who is president of Young and Rubicam New York Jane welcome back to the show thank you
0: so much
2: i want to go back to where you were ending the last segment and talk a little bit about your thoughts on that attitude and why it exists you know people in our industry have been suggesting for millennia, that's, that's maybe stretching it a bit, but certainly decades, that uh, our industry is undergoing change and, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, television was supposed to kill the movie business, FM was to, supposed to kill AM, satellite radio and TV is supposed to kill off those traditional radio and television channels, but it never happened. So why is our industry so preoccupied with with this obsession or worry about the demise of traditional media channels when our history suggests you really don't need to be. It's
0: I, I can give you my personal pop psychology view of it, but uh, it, it, it is really quite fascinating. I, I think <laughs> what we do every day when we come to work is, and in fact it's pretty much every day regardless of where you are, but you know, we we deal in the world of the possible in in positivity and things that are designed to make people feel good or align with the company or, you know, it's, we very rarely deal in the negative. And I mean, it's just my personal theory that maybe the inherent negativity is a a backlash against that. (laughs) But I think there's also a, it's an incredibly complex business. Now I'll give you, that was my pop pop psychology answer. (laughs) My, Mm -hmm. my, My more academic answer is, um... I think there is incredible complexity and uh, enormous dollars at stake. And just when you think that you've got your head around how people are interacting in the world in terms of, you know, the use of technology or you know how they're consuming media, people go and change. The technology changes, the channels change. You know, innovation happens, and then all of a sudden, it's like it's because the other media doesn't necessarily go away. It, just, it, it can be very overwhelming. Let's just take one more channel. like and uh, it's been in digital for a very long time and I saw a lot of careers come and go because you know see, people would be the self-proclaimed king of search. and for a year they were the king of the world, but then next year when um, social or email or blogs or whatever the, the proclam- proclamation of the year was came along, that person was left with a fairly finite silo to deal in so, um, I think the you know it's the notion of the additive channels is one that can be overwhelming, um, and also you know it's the the dollars that companies spend don 't go up exponentially with every new channel that gets added, so there's a lot more pressure you know, to make the hard decisions, to be in the right media, to, you know, you want to innovate in this new thing, you want to be there first, and you don't want to be left behind, but we're getting all of our results from these old things, so, oh, now what? You know, it's the the conversation that doesn't happen overtly very often, but that's the undertone to it.
1: You mentioned yeah. augmented reality before as part of the promotion that you did with the shoe manufacturer, and in 10 years, we'll say, can you believe that we used to have that ancient technology called augmented reality? We had to use our phone. Are you
0: crazy? Yeah, Remember really. when you had to carry something around? Exactly. What's with that? Yeah. It's I, so, everything. Again, I love. I love the adaptive nature of humans and the media. Is that what is the most amazing thing today? You know, I was just on a flight a few hours ago. You've got Wi-Fi. It's like you're sitting in your office. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And you know, two years ago you couldn't think of that. And a year from now, if you don't have Wi-Fi, you'll be you'll be really really crabby about it.
2: You know. <laughs> really. Door, Brad. Uh, and I don't know if you hear that in the background. Ray's dial-up was just uh, connecting into the Internet do, do, there. Do. Yeah, but, you got
1: that HughesNet. It's wonderful.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to encourage all of our listeners to check out YR.com, a wonderful site for uh, Y&R worldwide. Loads of information available. One of the more recent installments in your POV section uh, within your site, The Little Black Book Concept, discusses socializing brands. The author talks about social activity becoming more mobile and how location-based services uh, continue to gain in popularity. I want to talk to you a little bit, Jane, about mobile. This is something that's been discussed and anticipated for years here in the U.S., but yet finally in 2011 it looks like mobile campaigns are really starting to take off. Where do you see mobile today here in America, and where do you see mobile, say, two, three years out for the American consumer?
0: Um, I see mobile today is going to sound terribly arrogant, but mobile today in the U.S. is where mobile <laughs> in sort of Japan and Korea was three, four, five years ago.
2: I um, knew you were going
0: to say that. I know. Terror, it sounds terrible. But, you know, there's much bigger infrastructural issues here. I understand. Um, but I think it, it becomes ubiquitous. And, you know, when, you're, when we're now doing programs where we're putting QR codes, you know, at retail or on packaging, so that people with their smartphones can interact and get more information when they're out there in the world or wherever they may be. There's, you know, there's something that I think mobile sort of the path to ubiquity for mobile will be much faster, I think, than others in that, you know, companies that don't have a mobile site or they aren't adequately tagged so that, you know, you can get the information you need at the right the location that you're at. It'll just be one of those things that it's actually a bad customer experience, and like any bad customer service, you know, it dings the brand far harder than bad advertising does. So I think you know the mobile, beyond the sort of wonderful opportunities for immersive brand experiences and more information, I think the you know the customer service side of mobile about giving the right information, giving the right offers, and surprising and delighting occasionally, um, will be what. People's expectations are, and I don't. I don't think those expectations are there today. I think in some some markets they absolutely are, but not necessarily here.
1: Talking with uh, Jane Barrett out of uh, New York. Uh, Jane is president of YNR New York. YR.com is the website. Ray and Brad, the advertising show, going to take a short break. Come back and talk more with Jane. Stay right here. Back on the advertising show, it's Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and we are so happy to be talking with Jane Barrett, out of New York. Jane is president of Young and Rubicam YNR New York. Jane, such a pleasure to have you here. Welcome back to the show. Thank you.
2: Glad to hear ad execs are still eating at their desk during uh, business hours, Jane. Uh, I would imagine you were also a bit busy this year and weren't able to attend this year's South by Southwest uh, venues in Austin. But I wanted to uh, bring to your attention an onslaught of articles written about branding overkill at this year's festival. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on how advertisers can overcome this tendency to overdo their branding efforts as they sometimes do. I mean, people expect... You know, that kind of uh, high prominence of branding, commercial activity at CES every year, Consumer Electronics uh, Show, of course, for those that are acronym-challenged. But this year, the -the over-the-top effort uh, becoming more and more uh, prominent, I guess, at the South by Southwest Festival has had a negative backlash. What can marketers do to maintain a a more tasteful balance when they get out there and and bring their brand to those types of venues
0: i'm actually going to flip it around the other way because this is something that makes me a little crazy i think if a company or a channel or an app or a new media or a site whatever if they plan to have advertising as a revenue stream have it there from the beginning Because there's nothing worse than building this, you know, this amazing culture and design and, you know, cultural aesthetic that doesn't make anyone any money. And so then you say, oh, advertisers come and help out. And then there's a backlash because this wasn't the thing that we fell in love with. So I think upfront collaboration is absolutely critical. And I mean, South by Southwest was a much more organic um, evolution, um, I think the the branding activity there is completely over the top, but it, it's because it's such an influential audience. Sure. Um, I think the organizers could do maybe a better job of filtering out, but, you know, it's the uh, most conferences, although they seem to have noble, uh, you know, noble aspirations. Causes. Yeah, yes. noble aspirations, they are still money making ventures. And so, Every advertiser that's there, everyone that's demoing a product, everyone who is you know mm. participating, has uh, you know has paid to be there. So yeah. it's uh, it's hard for them to blame the advertisers because they're they're buying in and someone's accepting the money. The the audience basically the audience is being sold, and I understand when people feel negative about that, but there should be a better sense of collaboration up front.
2: Interesting. Yeah. I I agree, and I think the beauty about our business is is you can have a contrarian point of view, and I'm going to share that very briefly with you, and that is, although I understand what you're saying, there are many advertisers that look to their agencies for counsel, and although they want to do something that is exciting like a South by Southwest venue and certainly simply South by Southwest offering those advertising and marketing opportunities uh, are certainly part to blame, but at the same time, I think we as Professionals and you may we may see this next year, or the year after, have to counsel our uh, clients in saying, you know what, once was a great platform and a great environment has now been a bit over the top, and although they'll take your money. Uh, And we've seen this before, Jane, where uh, once a great venue becomes overdone and it becomes something that uh, advertisers uh, have a backlash and they go elsewhere and Johnny Come Lately jumps on and what they once were able to charge big dollars for are not available anymore because it's not in such high demand. Mm
0: -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that that council is a very delicate balance because, you know, many venues will give you scale. They just won't give you the right sort of scale.
2: Yeah, and, yeah, uh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, as you've said uh, throughout today's interview, I've been quoted as saying in the past, uh, you believe it's a great time to be in the advertising business and just uh, business in general. So what are your predictions as we wrap up today's interview for the industry, the ad industry as a whole, over the next, say, five to ten years?
0: Well, I think it's going to keep on evolving, and I hope that people stop being so obsessed with the word advertising and it's in some people's mind a very narrow meaning i mean going back to the days of cave paintings it was advertising you know there's whatever whatever is out there in the public domain as media it's 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 advertising so whether it's a tweet it's a post on facebook you know it's a, a text message in a developing market it's you know, it's it's marketing communications easily wrapped up as advertising. And I think one of the other really big things that I'm personally very excited about is um, because of, you know, the increasing challenge. And I'm going to say it will be. Every year will be more challenging. We're getting the most amazing talent. Um, or it, it's a much more diverse group of people coming into the industry. You know, someone may have entered the industry as a programmer and ends up as a, a strategy person. Someone else might have entered as, a, you know, as a writer and ends up as a, you know, a director a content director. There's, there's a lot more positions from the, you know, the olden days. And I think the sort of people coming in are a lot more representative of a, a broader populace. And I think that can only be good for the business because there's um, an acknowledgement that, again, there's a lot of ground to be covered in the media space. It can be complicated to tell you know, a simple brand story and enable great brand interactions with people You know, if you're trying to be overly dogmatic. And the more people that we have with diverse skills and sort of an openness to what's next, the, uh, the, the better it will be for the business.
1: You know, Jane, it sounds like it's, first of all, such a nice... Thing to get such a refreshingly positive spin on our industry. Number one, but it also sounds like I know you're speaking on behalf of Young and Rubicam, but this is coming from the heart here. So this is a uh, this is a very uh, a, a true passion that you have about our industry as well.
0: Absolutely, and and you know what the great thing about YNR and the reason why I joined here is it's been innovating for the last 90 years. You know, no business survives if it stays still, and I think you know at the at the soul of the brand here is something really wonderful of you know about resisting the usual and really having a great balance between creativity and strategy. And, you know, they're the fundamentals of our business.
1: Well, keep the team together and keep up the great work. And again, thanks for uh, being a part of the advertising show today.
0: Thank you, Brad. And thank you, Ray.
1: On the advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsythe. And uh, go to yr.com to find out more. It's always great when you get a chance to drop by and uh, catch the interviews that we do uh, throughout the year here at theadvertisingshow.com. In uh, today's interview phenomenal all of the other ones up there as well at the advertising well worth listening to if you're not a regular listener go and and, and check out a few of those and tell your friends as well about the advertising show being brought to you by advertising age magazine visit online at adage.com the advertising show is a copyrighted big radio midgets production and we will talk to you next week To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.